Uh, in just a moment, we'll talk about Jonah, but I do want to mention to, today that if you want to pray for um, tonight, we're starting a new service at a new location, and so uh, you are all part of that. Uh, it is not a new church, it is just a part of us meeting at another place at another time. So please be in prayer for that tonight. And uh, I, we're going to talk about Jonah, and we'll be in Jonah chapter 1 in just a few minutes. And I was thinking this week how, of all the things to talk to people who may or may not know Jesus, this is probably pretty far down in the list, but hey, we'll see what happens. Um, have you ever heard a story that's just too unbelievable? I mean, have you ever heard a story that, that the more you heard it, you're like, there's no way that really happened? Or someone's told you, hey, we did this, and you're going, no, you didn't. Because to be honest, I'm a nature, I'm, by nature, I'm a skeptic. I don't, I, I, I see people post stuff on Facebook, like especially political things about, oh, this candidate said this or that, and I usually go look at some reputable site and find out, no, they're wrong, they're quoting some person who doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, that happens more often than not. But I, but I also find that, that when, you, when you don't believe stories or when you're a skeptic by nature, you, you then tell stories, and, and maybe I, I'm a skeptic by nature because when I was a kid, I liked to embellish stories a little bit. I mean, I would make them sound just a little bit better than they really were. So I remember when I was in fourth grade with my friend Pete, and, and his grandmother owned a, a house up at the Shanty Creek Resort in Bel Air, Michigan. And so I had never been skiing before, and, and he invited, invited me to go skiing with him. And so we, we went, and, and um, we were really excited because we had seen people ski on TV. How hard could it really be? I mean, you're just going down a hill on two little thin pieces of wood. Come to find out, it's a little harder than it looks. And so the first time we get on this hill and we get off, we actually walk through the woods because his, his parents were, are really good skiers and they, they found it easier to teach people if they just start at the top, don't have to take the lift up. Makes sense? And so we, we trudge through the woods and we get there and, and we start going down the hill. And, and so his dad was taking him and his mom, Diana, who, who weighs 100 pounds dripping wet. She's five foot, weighs maybe 100 pounds. I mean, she's tiny. She's taking me. But they found that the easiest way to teach people to ski is is to take all, all the poles, all four poles, and put them in front of them, and you ski between their legs. I told you they're really good skiers, right? You caught that part. So here's this 100-pound woman taking this fourth-grade boy. Uh, I, probably didn't weigh, I probably weighed as much as she did. I don't, I don't know. And so we're skiing. It took us, and this is not an exaggeration. I fell literally 50 times before I made it to the bottom of the hill. And about the time we finally get going more than just three feet in falling— we're finally going faster, and we're at the bottom of the hill, and the, the hill is called Chicken's Choice. I mean, it wasn't hard, but I thought we were going too fast, so I fell, and so I dragged Diane down with me, and Diane looks at me, and she says, Aaron, why did you fall? I said, because we were going too fast. I think there's a special place in heaven for Ron and Diane after that ski trip, and so by the end of the day, we got better and got good enough that we could just go by ourselves. And so the next day, it was like we've been doing this our whole lives, and we just went all day long. And so the, that next night, we're telling stories around the dinner table about what happened during our, our ski adventures. And, and so, you know, I, I like to embellish a story a little bit this time in my life. And so I tell this story about how I'm going down the hill, and there's this guy who fell in front of me, and I went up his skis, flying in the air, and then I hit someone else, and we all fell. Now... The embellishment is that I went up in the air off this guy's skis. I think it felt like I went off these guys' skis into the air. What really happened was I ran into this guy who had fallen in front of me. I then fell. My skis went flying, and I knocked over this girl. That's what really happened. But it sounded so much better if I was airborne off this guy's skis. So I just added that part to the story. 
But the truth is, skiing produces all kinds of stories that are true, but they're almost unbelievable to believe. One time, we were with friends on a youth retreat, and, and our youth, one of the youth leaders, when I was a youth pastor, he, he and I were skiing through the woods, and he skied right into a pipe. Um, like, his skis went right in, so he had to kind of back his way out, and it looked kind of painful. That really happened. Or, or the time when I was in sixth grade, and I was skiing, and I watched this this guy come down this hill at Paoli Peaks in Paoli, Indiana. It's the only ski place in Indiana that I think exists. Um, and he comes flying down the hill, and they have like those two-rail fences. I, I'm sure they have names. I don't know what they are. And he slides right underneath it and keeps on going down the hill and hits like three trees on his way. That was real. I think the ambulance got called on that one. Um, but there's all kinds of skiing stories. Or like the time when I was still learning to ski. It might have been the first or second time I went. And I'm holding the rails on the, on the ski lift. And my toe of my ski caught the snow right at the end of the like runway before it falls off. And so then I'm hanging with two hands on the rails as I'm scared to death and I'm going to fall about 10 feet in, into the snow. Which I probably would have been fine. But, but they finally stopped the lift and sent my ski up with the group behind me. I mean, so it, there are moments when things happen in skiing. And and my favorite ski story, I wasn't there, but after hearing it, I feel like I was. Erwin McManus is a, a pastor out in California, and he's, he grew up in El Salvador, and so he tells the story, you know, here I am, this Latino man skiing, and he said, I'm, I'm an athlete, so I think, how hard can this be? And I'm a grown man, and so skiing, no big deal, and so I go with my buddy, who's a really good skier, and, and he's trying to teach me stuff to do, and, and uh, he, he says, like, pizza, or snowplow, and he's trying to explain this to me, and I'm like, whatever, I'll, I'll be fine. We get to the top of the hill, and he's like, you really think you're good? He goes, oh, I'm good, man. He goes, okay, well, then we'll go down when I usually go down. Let's go down this black diamond. He's like, sweet, because they tried to make me do the bunny hill, but I don't need the bunny hill. So he takes off, and he says, I can't figure out why all these people are going back and forth, why they don't just go straight down the hill. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so I decide, that's dumb. I'm going straight down the hill. So I start going. Then I realize why they don't. So I saw on TV, they tuck their poles underneath and they lean forward. I started doing that. That was a bad idea. He said, I see the bottom of the hill coming faster and there are people. There are crowds of people at the bottom of the hill. As I get closer to the bottom of the hill, these people in the crowds realize I'm not stopping. They start diving. <laughs> there was a ski resort at the bottom of the hill as well and a little restaurant with a little patio. And he said, and the only hope I had was that restaurant and patio. So I went right into it. I took out three tables and sets of chairs on the way. <laughs> Finally, one of the waiters from inside comes out and he goes, dude. <laughs> he was one of those guys that when you saw him, you knew this guy snowboarded. Every stereotype, it was that guy. He goes, dude, I've never seen anyone get this far. <laughs> but skiing produces stories that are almost too unbelievable. See, I think, I think if we're honest, this is what we really think about when we think about the Bible. It produces stories that we read and we're like, some, oh yeah, I, I get that, that makes sense, I, I can believe that. Other parts you go, I don't know, I mean, maybe that's just like a, a parable or a story that we're supposed to learn something from. Or, or other parts we go, man, I just don't know if I can believe that at all. It's hard to comprehend, hard to understand, hard to, to, put our, to wrap our minds and arms around it. And if I'm honest, I think that's really the Jonah story. I mean, this story in the Old Testament, this story of a, of a giant fish, I mean, in my mind, I think of the Pinocchio movie where he's in the the belly of the whale, and there's a boat. I mean, that's what I think of when I think of the Jonah story. I don't think it's a real accurate depiction, but it's what I think of. And so I, I've been kind of mesmerized by this story in recent weeks as I thought about our, 
our series that we're going to spend four weeks on the book of Jonah. And I was thinking how, how understanding background is really helpful. I think about how we, when we understand the Bible, we often think of the Bible in, in these kind of terms. We, we think of the Bible, we try to read it like a novel. Like we pick it up and we start on page one and we read to, to the end. And to be honest with you, that's not all that helpful. I'm not saying don't read the Bible, don't hear that. But I'm just saying if we pick up the Bible and start reading, that's often really hard. Because we don't understand the context, we don't understand the background, we don't understand who the people they're talking about. We just don't, we don't, we don't get it, we weren't there. But I started to understand that if we read the Bible in kind of a different kind of way, if we begin to see that, that it's, the Bible is full of stories, little, little stories, some, some little larger stories of, of people, groups, or things, and it's really one kind of overarching story. See, if I was to summarize the whole Bible, I'll summarize the Old Testament first. The Old Testament is pretty simple. God loves people. God's faithful to people. God, pe- God's people reject God and no longer become God's people. Then they find themselves in trouble. Then they cry out to God. Then God redeems them. That's the Old Testament a couple different times. That's the whole story. God sends Jesus into the world. Jesus to redeem the whole world. All, all things should be restored. And so as I was to summarize the whole Bible in like one line, it would be this. God loves people and God wants to be in right relationship with people and we're often really unfaithful. That's it. That's the whole story. And God keeps forgiving us and inviting us into relationship with him. Bible in just a couple words. I mean, that, that's the whole entire thing. And my Bible, is, I, I looked at the first service, it's like 1,980 pages. It's a lot. You can summarize it all in that. God loves you. But the Jonah story is an interesting story. It falls in, in the Old Testament. It's what we call a prophetic book. It, it's, it's kind of hard to understand in some ways. I mean, it's an easy story to read, and it's easy to get the gist of it. But but the Jonah story is one that we kind of wrestle with, and like, who is it written to, and what was it written for, and really only in the last, last recent decades have scholars spent any real time with Jonah. It's an interesting story, story because in the history of Israel, the nation of Israel, there's this, this, this history they have, and we kind of, maybe you've heard of it, and so in the beginning of Israel's story, they, they have a king, and the first king is Saul. And Saul's not really a very good king. I mean, he looks like a king, he acts like a king, I mean, he's kind of big, and and kind of buff dude, but, but he's just not a good guy. And so God says, you know what, you're, you're not going to be the king of these people anymore. And, and in fact, I'm going to raise up a new king. And he raised up David, and David's a man after God's own heart, and he has compassion, and he's, he cares about other people, and he begins to look the way God wants his people to look. And then David, like so many of us, kind of goes astray, and he finds himself checking out someone else's wife, and, and uh, that story doesn't end too well for him. And then Solomon is David's son, and he becomes the new king. And, and Solomon looks, I mean, everything about Solomon looks the way God wants his people to look initially. I mean, he prays for wisdom, but then as time passes, um, there's, this, there's this text in Deuteronomy chapter 17. If you go back and read it sometime, it gives all these lists of things that God's people are not supposed to do. And then if you go to 1 Kings 9 and 10, it's like Solomon took Deuteronomy 17 and just checked off the list of all the things he's not supposed to do and did them all. For the longest time, I thought Solomon was like this great king, but then only to find out, no, he really wasn't that great a king. I mean, they made a lot of money, I mean, they had a lot of stuff, but he didn't really reflect God's character in the world. And so at the end of Solomon's reign, when, when Solomon passed away, the nation was split into Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and so, so Israel is taken captive by this empire, Assyria. The Jonah story comes at the end of the Assyrians having them, and the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. Jonah 
his story now makes sense when we understand that he's a prophet out of this country that's just been taken out of exile. And so here's what Jonah chapter 1 says. I want you to stand as we read from, from Jonah chapter 1. Um, Jonah chapter 1, here's what the word says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord. Have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, like I said, this Jonah story, I mean, it's an interesting story because it's split. If you were to look at kind of historic understanding, it's split from those who think this is a literal story that happened exactly this to this is a, a parable or a story meant to tell a truth. It really doesn't matter which perspective you hold to, because at the end of the day, it still tells a story. It still tells a story that leads us to the same place. And so it begins in, in an interesting way, the way so often stories begins. It begins with this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It begins with God speaking. See, so often what we begin to find is that new things happen in our lives when God begins to speak into them. And so God speaks to Jonah and tells Jonah... I want you to go, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh. You know that Assyrian empire that you were exiled from, that they, they, they enslaved you guys and, and they took you from home. I want you to go back to those people and I want you to go to Nineveh, which is like the worst place in the world, the most immoral city in the world in that day. It was the Las Vegas of that day. I want you to go back to that place and to those people and tell them, hey, I, I want you to know um, God, God loves you and wants to be in right relationship with you. I mean, the actual words we see in the text are God says, I want you to go back there and tell them to repent from their wickedness. Jonah, Jonah's name means dove, and Amitai means truth. So Jonah is, is the prophet, the dove of truth, but, but he doesn't look much like he likes it. 
In fact, what we begin to see is that Jonah hears these words, and, and Jonah was a legitimate real person. We do know that. I mean, he's mentioned in another book in the Bible in 2 Kings, but, but Jonah was a legitimate prophet of God, but he hears this call to go back to this people, and, and he does what you and I so often do when we think God might be speaking in our lives. We run the other direction. We know the direction we should go, but that doesn't sound like much fun. And so Jonah thinks, you know what, I know who God is. God is the God who wants to redeem people and be in right relationship with them. And you know what? I'm not so sure I'm good with that. Those people deserve something so much worse, so I'm, I'm not going to go there. And Jonah runs away, and he runs, and he gets on this boat, and, and he heads to Tarshish. And so if I were to, to help you with this picture, um, think of it this way. Jonah was supposed to go to the Middle East, but instead he heads south, and he gets on a boat going to Greece. Different directions. One's over here, and one's down here. Jonah knows where he's supposed to go, but he doesn't want to go there, and so he flees in another direction. He heads south, away from. The further down he goes, not just geographically, but he, he goes further. And so he heads, heads and pays to get on this ship, and he gets on this ship, and, and he heads straight to the bottom of it, and he goes to sleep. Man, I don't know, when I was a kid, my mom used to, to tell me to go clean my room, and usually I would just go sleep, because that she wouldn't get mad if I slept. I mean, how, how do you get mad at a kid taking a nap? So I, I just chose to do that instead. But that's kind of how I feel like Jonah is in this story. He knows that there's something he should do, but sometimes it's easier rather than deal with the real things in our lives just to go take a nap. Now, sometimes we need the nap, but other times we do it to avoid whatever it is we need to be doing. So Jonah's taking a nap on this boat, and, and the captain comes down, and he says, hey, wake up. Pray to whoever it is you pray to, because this storm is going to kill us all. And Jonah knows already, I mean, this storm is my fault. I know it's my fault. I'm running from God. I'm trying to flee from him. And I know God's pursuing me, and he's calling me to something different, but I'm just not sure I want to go there. I mean, this storm is raging, and the more Jonah goes down, the more the storm comes up. This captain says to Jonah, come, come pray. And Jonah goes up, and he sees these guys, the sailors, and they're, they're casting lots, or an easier way to understand this, they're flipping coins trying to figure out whose fault this is. They live in a world in which they assumed everything, every calamity of the world was brought on by someone else. And so they, they were trying to figure out whose fault this was. And as they flipped all their coins and they cast their lots, it fell to Jonah. And it was Jonah's fault. And they looked at Jonah and said, where are you from and what have you done? Because this sea is going to kill us all. And Jonah looks at him and says, oh, I'm a Hebrew. I'm one of the people that served the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and the sky and everything in them. I say, well, pray to, pray to your God. And he goes, it's not going to matter. I'm going the wrong way. If you, if you really want this to stop, just throw me overboard. See, in Jonah's day, there was this understanding of the sea that was quite fascinating. Actually, we'll talk more about this next week. But, but I understood the sea to be the place of death, the deep, the and they understood the world to kind of function this way, that, that for all the land, there was water under all the land. So when God separated out dry land in the creation story, they, they had this belief that then, then underneath all the dry land was still water. And so that if, that if you were to ever go into the sea, the sea was the place of chaos, the place of destruction. And so in the beginning, it, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. Or the earth was tohu and bohu, it was chaos. 
Hebrew words are tohu and bohu. It's this chaotic place. And so the sea is this chaotic place in the world. It is chaos in our lives. It is brokenness. It represents death and destruction. It's why, it's why when the Old Testament talks about the place of Sheol, the place of death, they understood to be beneath the mountains where the water reigned supreme. And if you remember in the creation story, in the beginning, God spoke into existence. Once again, we hear the word of God speak life and it calmed the seas. And Jonah knows the only way these seas are calmed is if God speaks again. Jonah says to the crew, just throw me over. But these are good guys. I mean, they really are good guys. I mean, they understand that if they're going to be like Royal Caribbean and give tours to people, they can't throw them off the ship. Your business will dry up quickly by doing that. So they start throwing away cargo and and trying to row back to to shore, but the storm is just too strong. And so Jonah says, listen, just throw me overboard. They keep trying to find a way around this. And then they say this prayer, God... We don't want to do this. So God, if you're real and we do this, and we, we really believe that this is because your, your servant here, Jonah, recognizes this, this is what he's telling us to do, so please hold us accountable. And in fact, if, if the storm stops, we'll follow you. So I just, in my head, I picture three guys grabbing Jonah and put him over their head, and you're going to throw him over the side of the ship, and Jonah grabbing his nose as he gets ready to go into the water. And Jonah goes into the sea. See, the part of the story that Jonah already knows is that God is always faithful. Even when our decisions lead us to all kinds of places, he's faithful. And so in this story, this, this great fish, we, we talk about maybe a whale, or, or in the Old Testament they talk about a, a sea creature called Leviathan, this great beast of the sea. But whatever it is, it, it swallows up Jonah. And, and that's kind of where the story ends this week. Like I said, we'll continue this story next week. But, but what we begin to find in this um, is that God is faithful even when Jonah is unfaithful. That God comes to us in places of destruction. In fact, so the question we have is, well, what, what does this Jonah story have to do with our lives? How, how does this Jonah story impact us? And what, what if it's this? What if God's trying to speak to all of us? What if, what if God wants to speak into all our lives in such a way that he uses us? And so, for the longest time, the church has known God wants to call us to go to places like Nineveh and speak truth that God wants to redeem the world, that God loves all people. But so often, our church, our church, meaning all churches, not just this place, has responded in the same kind of way. We're like, yeah, but we don't want to go there. Have you met them? Do you know what they do? I mean, they kind of deserve hell. That's kind of what should happen. I mean, we, we don't want to go there. Have you seen them? Have you heard them? Have you, do you know what they believe? We think, well, they'll just get what they deserve. And that becomes our response. And we say, oh, we don't really say that. No, we just act that way. And in truth, that's too often been the church's response. See, the reality for us is we see the, the story that God wants to write in the world. We see the character of God, how he wants to redeem and restore and make all things right. But we, we hear that, but we don't really want to be participants in that. Right? Many of us respond like Jonah. We run the other way. I mean, there's something in us that recognizes that, that we know how God wants to respond, how he wants us to respond, but we... We just think, just give the people what they deserve and we won't worry about it. See, we, we begin to understand the character of God and recognize how he really would react. And it's not how we often react, but we know that's what we're called to. And sometimes what we find is those people that we call and share, we share life with, they begin to see that they're kind of like the guys on the boat. They don't even know why there's a storm in their life. They don't know what's going on. And and yet, by us being in relationship with them, they come to know who God really is. So I started thinking about this. Um, 
in terms of our lives. See, we all make decisions in our lives that lead us in different directions, and every time we make a decision, it impacts those people around us. So, so even if even if I don't want to impact someone I love or care about, and I make a decision that leads to destruction, if I flee to ways that lead to death and not life, that impacts those around me every single time. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've talked with couples, and some will say, well, I, I did this, and now our marriage is falling apart because of a decision one of the spouses made. Or someone's come in my office and say, I've had this addiction for a long time, but it's never really impacted other people until now. Or someone will come in and say, well, you know, I made these kind of financial decisions years and years ago, and, and, and now here's where I am. I mean, what do we do now? And we begin to see it usually isn't just one decision that leads us to this place. It isn't just one kind of decision. Jonah didn't make just one decision that had him ending up in the sea. Jonah made lots of little decisions on his way away from where God was calling him to go. And our lives are no different. We make little decisions on a regular basis, and we're not careful. We find ourselves in the belly of a great fish. Wondering if God will still be faithful to us because we have been anything but faithful to him. Our poor decisions have impacted the people around us just the way Jonah impacted those sailors around him. See, the thing for us is where the church comes into this is we don't have to go through those situations alone. We're not supposed to. In fact, more often than not, we wouldn't be in them if we, had we not tried to do it alone. We allowed other people to share in what we're doing in life. Did they share it in the struggles in our marriages, in our finances, in our addictions? Had other people come alongside us, we might not have been to the place that we were, but we, we kept it to ourselves. It's just easier that way. But what we see in the Jonah story is God is still faithful in the midst of our poor decisions. God is still faithful to us because that's who he is. And I don't know if, I hope, a couple connections came to your mind. And if they didn't, that's okay because maybe, maybe, maybe we'll learn to spend more time in the scriptures. But there's, there's a couple of things that probably jumped out in your mind if you've read much of the, of the Bible. And if you haven't, I'll, I'll fill you in. So in case you didn't catch, there was a, a part in that where... Um, where Jonah was in the bottom of the boat and the storm's raging outside. And he knows that the only way that this is going to storm, this storm is going to cease is if God speaks into it. And maybe you remember the storm about when Jesus was in the boat. And the storm is raging and he's sleeping in the boat and his disciples come to him and go, listen, you've got to wake up. If you don't stop this storm, we're all going to die. This boat's going to capsize and we're all dead men. And Jesus speaks, and he calms the storm. Or maybe you caught the, the scene in the Jonah story where Jonah goes into the, the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, and maybe, maybe something went off in your head. Remember that Jesus, what, isn't he the one that went, isn't he the one who was dead for three days and then came back to life? And not only did he conquer death, but he conquered life itself. Maybe we begin to see that the Jonah story is really our story. It's a story that, that Jesus says to us, listen, you can't speak into the storms of your life, no matter how much you want to, but I can. You can't conquer the things in your life that lead to death and the decisions you make that keep leading to brokenness and destruction and devastation, because we all make decisions in our lives that lead to brokenness and devastation and destruction, whether it's with our spouses or our family or our friends or our neighbors, but we impact their lives by the decisions we make. And Jesus says to us, you keep making decisions that lead to death, but let me tell you this, I'm the one who conquered even death. 
and my three days. Make it so you never have to experience that again. This morning, the band's going to come. We're going to sing the song because he lives again. And next week, we'll talk more about this Jonah story. What, what happens when we're in this place of despair, when we're in this belly of the whale? I'll just use whale because it's easy. But in the belly of this great fish, when we're in the beast, that our decisions have led us to places of destruction, how does God impact that? I invite you to stand this morning as we, as we sing. Father, we thank you today for the way that you continue to be with us. We pray that you will help us today as we try to go about our daily lives and try to make decisions that don't lead us to places of destruction. We don't want to end up in the belly of some great fish. We don't want to end up in places of death, but we want to find life. And we know that life comes when you speak into our lives. And so may we listen. May we try not to run from you. May we try to run towards you. Help us to never forget that when it Whenever we make decisions that, that lead us to devastation, to brokenness, to chaos, there's one who speaks order into life. There's one who reorients our perspective and brings us to new places. And so we pray that we will be a people who know that that is what your son does in this world and Jesus will be the one who sets our lives right. Help us to remember that no matter how unfaithful we are, we serve a God who is faithful. He calls us to be his hands and feet in the world to set the world right. And may we live that way. May we live as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name.